Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Pressure, pass is picked off, and who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Packs What She Said podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Maggie Loney, joined as always by Perry Goldstein. And I, I don't know about you, Perry, but I cannot remember an off-season quite like this as far as the moves that we've seen across the NFL so soon into free agency. Yeah, it's like a mass exodus of the NFC to the AFC right now. Um, every off-season has its craziness. I just don't remember a time where it's back to back like it is this season where it's not even like one news cycle doesn't even last a day anymore so lots to talk about yeah and you know if you podcast once a week like we do here on Pax what she said it makes it pretty overwhelming to try and get all of the news tidbits into one episode because as we saw last week Sometimes you record a full episode and then the news drops right after you're done recording and your entire episode is obsolete. So let's talk about the moves the Packers have made first, and then we can maybe look at the rest of the NFC. So obviously the biggest domino to fall was that Aaron Rodgers returned to the Packers. Then the next biggest domino to fall was that Devontae Adams was traded to the Raiders. But then that gave the Packers enough money to sign Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas and bring back Robert Tunyon. So how do you feel about that? I feel great about it. Um, We've gone over the the Devontae Adams stuff. There's no reason to rehash it. I I think depending on obviously who they replace in the wide receiver room, it's going to be – we're going to look back on this very differently than we the way we feel right now. Um, But we did, like you said, re-sign – two key starters on defense um, and Robert Tunyon, who I think became a little bit more affordable because unfortunately of his injury. Um, But we got the numbers today actually that he's signing. It's basically like a signing bonus of a million, a base salary of a little over a million. And then he's got some roster bonus workout bonuses, and then an additional 1.75 million in incentives around playing time, pro bowl, things like that. So it's an incredibly friendly deal for a player that when healthy is super productive for the Packers and probably without this ACL injury would have gone on into free agency and made at least 10 million a year. So good for the Packers. I'm obviously glad to keep him around. Hope that the player is able to bounce back and be who he's been. And then we'll see what happens, you know, in a year. Yeah. And, you know, Twitter was kind of interesting when it, when it came down to the Tunyon signing and, you know, what people thought about it, if, if he moved the needle at all for the Packers offense. And I feel like he does. And I think at this point, you know, without Devante, there's a need for Rogers to have a comfort with those guys in the room. So obviously big dog is still kind of, a missing piece. We don't know if he'll be back, but Tanyan coming back, I think is huge because he's one of the few guys that Aaron Rodgers has a really good rapport with outside of Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard coming back. There's not too many guys in the room that are super familiar with Rodgers. So, and then, you know, we just saw MVS sign today with the chiefs for 10 million a year. So he's now out of the NFC as well, but the market is starting to cool down, I guess, from that perspective, as far as like what talent can be still brought to the team Um, But it sounds like, and, you know, take all these rumors with a grain of salt, that the Packers may or may not be in the mix or in trade conversations 
um, to find a, a wide receiver that way. So is there anyone that you specifically would have your eye on when it comes to, to trade bait, or are you more kind of concerned with the draft at this point? I'd say I'm 75% draft, 25% trade. I like that the Packers have this much draft capital. I think wide receivers in their rookie seasons are starting to make more impact than they used to. Um, it doesn't take as much development, and there are plenty of like pretty NFL-ready players that the Packers can take with either their first two picks, honestly, any of their first four picks. Um, I do, I still am of the belief that there needs to be some kind of vet in the room. Obviously they do have Randall Cobb, maybe Alan Lazard falls under that, but I think it'd be fun to have, I mean, a guy like Tyler Lockett has been thrown around. I I don't think the Seahawks are going to give him up. I also think Tyler Lockett mainly he's smaller. He plays from the slot. I don't think he actually fits, but I mean his name in more of a, you know, a guy who's been in the league for quite some time. Um, If there's a look, if the Packers could go out to Washington or the Steelers and try to get like a Terry McLaurin or a Chase Claypool, that would be ideal because they're still really young They've proven that they're talented and the Packers could have plenty of time with them. I just highly doubt that any team is going to give up a player like that right now. Um, I just don't see a world where that happens. I think DK Metcalf has been thrown around a bunch. Personally, I could do without the attitude, but I also think it'd be really fun to watch Mercedes Lewis, like bop him on the head. (laughs) um, If any shenanigans arise and obviously a player like DK Metcalf would immediately immediately improve your wide receiver room but there's nobody out there that I'm screaming banging the table for what are are your thoughts on on the trade yeah I really like your point about you know us seeing now young wide receivers make a larger impact Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are obviously two really good examples of that being young guys that can come in and I think that's what makes the conversation around wide receivers so fascinating is we've never really had to see Aaron Rodgers try to acclimate quickly with a rookie Jordy Nelson didn't come in and like blow the doors off the the offense his first year. Devontae took a while to acclimate. So it is kind of interesting to think about like, hey, if the Packers do invest one of those first four picks in a wide receiver, you know, whether it's Olave or Watson or one of the other fan favorites, what does that look like in the Packers offense? And is Aaron Rodgers capable of integrating them into the offense the way that we would see, you know, the Vikings with Jefferson or the Bengals with Chase do that? Um but I, you know, I, I don't know if there's a candidate for trade. I love, obviously, like Chase Claypool. Michael Pittman would be so much fun if the Colts were, like, willing to give him up. But don't see any of those things happening. But No. I think if the Packers end up grabbing someone, it's going to be a guy like like T.Y. Hilton, right? Like, it's going to be another Devin Funchess-type signing where they don't have to give up a ton think that maybe someone can walk in and add something to the room, but they're not going out and getting, they're not doing what the Dolphins just did. They're not going out and getting Tyreek Hill and giving up like an incredible amount of draft capital. I think they, and it's very unlike them, right? To rely on the draft for this position group. It's very unlike them. The Packers haven't drafted. The last time they drafted a wide receiver um, high enough up was Devonta Adams, right? So yeah. Yeah, I'm waiting for them to bring in like Tajay Sharp, you know, who knew Matt LaFleur in Tennessee and just have Packers Twitter completely explode because, well, they signed a vet wide receiver and he knows Matt LaFleur, but it's not like the splash, right? The Packers didn't get Juju or somebody else. But 
something they did do that, you know, I, I want your thoughts on, because this did happen after we recorded last week. We talked about wide receivers and the way that they acclimate into the NFL fresh out of college. One position that has a really a steeper learning curve to me to at least be useful in the first couple seasons is defensive line. And we did see the Packers go get Jaron Reed, who was most recently with Seattle and the Chiefs. Um, not a great year with the Chiefs, but, you know, just a season removed from 10 plus sacks. So mm-hmm. what were your thoughts when you saw that come out? I like the idea of getting Kenny some help. Again, love the idea of bringing in a vet. Um, I did see somewhere I want to give the credit to Jacob Morley um, that the re- some of the reason why people think that Reed didn't have a great season with the Chiefs was because they just weren't using him in like the right way, right? And the Packers have a completely opposite defensive front than the Chiefs do where, you know, Kenny's your main nose and then you have um, Preston and and <clears throat> Rashawn on the edge and then, you know, a rotating like kind of fourth guy in there. And I think it was said that he'll likely be more successful because he's going to now be also in a front like with Kenny Clark getting double teamed and um, some really good edge rushers on the edge. So I'm excited to see it. Um, I think a lot of Packers fans have been clamoring for somebody on the other side of Kenny Clark to give him some help. So hopefully that's who Reed can be. Um, I'd still love to see the Packers take a defensive lineman and or an edge rusher high in the draft. I think it's likely something they do because they view that as a premium position, but um, love it. Yeah. Yeah, I misspoke when I said he was one year removed from 10-plus sacks. That was his 2018 season. And, you know, by all accounts, he's been a a super healthy player, too, which I think is important when you play defensive line because we've seen, you know, Kenny struggle with injuries. He, of course, missed some games due to a suspension uh, during the 2019 season. But by all accounts, I mean, he's got 24-and-a-half sacks to his career right now, and he's, he's a better talent than what we've seen the Packers have next to Kenny Clark in quite a while. So curious, you know, what that does or if that moves that needle um, much for the the defense, because I think arguably defensive line was really the only gaping hole that they had left to kind of patch up going into the draft process. Definitely. So let's flip then and talk about the NFC. And as you put it, the mass exodus of talent leaving the NFC, obviously Tom Brady returned to the Buccaneers unretired like we all thought that he would after realizing that being a parent is hard and he didn't want to be home all day with his family that's you know obviously not reported but we can we can read between the lines Tom but yeah the NFC is pretty much wide open now all of the young ascending talent has kind of shifted to the AFC at this point so what do you think how do you feel about the Packers even without Devontae it's so crazy I still think the Packers as the roster stands right now are third best in the NFC um, with the Rams and the Bucks being ahead of them, just simply because we don't know who Rodgers is going to be throwing the ball to yet. Now, granted, as soon as we do know that, they're right back into contention. We did see a old friend join now a foe in Darius Smith going to the Minnesota Vikings. So, granted, that Z bounces back from his injury, which I hope that he does because I never wish a back injury on anyone. Um, that's going to be a force, right? It's going to be Danelle Hunter and Darius Smith going up against the Packers twice a season. So 
don't love that, but also know that the Minnesota Vikings are not going anywhere because those are probably two their two best players with like Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook. So it's interesting. It's really interesting to watch like huge name players, right? Like Russell Wilson go to the AFC, obviously Devontae Adams. Now we saw today that the Chiefs signed MVS to a three-year, $30 million deal. So super pumped for MVS. Um, I think (laughs) he became a free agent at literally the most perfect time because everyone is clamoring for um, his skill set now. But again, going to the AFC, it feels a little lopsided, And I can't tell how I feel about how this is going to shake out. Now, obviously, teams on paper and teams on the field turn out to be two very different things, as we've learned. But it does feel like the AFC is going to be the harder conference and probably a little bit more battle-tested than the NFC will next season, um, depending, again, on the schedule. So I think whoever comes out on top in the AFC is going to have to be incredibly gritty. Yeah, I think it was Tim Backus on Twitter that made a comment that, you know, we're going to see maybe some not very good NFC teams squeak in as wild cards, and there's going to be some really good AFC teams that could beat up probably anybody in the NFC that don't even make the playoffs. So it is a really interesting dynamic. But, you know, by that same token, there are going to be some NFC teams that are getting healthier this year, like the 49ers, really good example of that. And, you know, could make a push. That said, I still think the Packers, even with, you know, the unfortunate addition to the Vikings of Zedarius Smith, I still think that the NFC North is the Packers to lose. I don't know if the one seed is at this point, but I do think that maybe that's a good thing for them. Maybe they got to get on the road a little bit. I also agree that NFC North is wide open. I think even if Justin Fields takes a giant leap forward, Packers still have Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Kirk Cousins even said it on a podcast the other day, right? He was interviewed and he was saying, as long as Aaron Rodgers is at the end of that cul-de-sac, you know, I don't like how friendly this neighborhood is. And he's right. Um, Aaron Rodgers dragged like Jared Aperderis and Jeff Janis to a divisional round game where he like almost won, right? Like that guy is magic. Um, But yeah, I think it is interesting that the opponents that the Packers likely need to beat again on a path to the Super Bowl are the same as this past season. Rams, Bucks, 49ers. They're they're gonna be the same. Maybe someone will pop up throughout the season that is a surprise kind of dark horse team. I just can't tell who that would be yet, but it's true. There's gonna be teams that fall in third in their division in the AFC. They could probably beat divisional winners in in the NFC. Yeah, and I think kind of the craziest part about all of this, too, is that if you look at, I have the spot track list up right now of the best remaining free agents, and there's a lot of really good players that still need to find homes in the in the NFL at this point. Obviously, Julio Jones tops the list, guys like Bobby Wagner, Tyron Matthew. Didn't the Rams it's, just sign Bobby Wagner? Oh, yeah, the Rams are loading up again. Sources say six-time all-pro linebacker Bobby Wagner is visiting them, and there's mutual interest in doing a deal. Okay, sorry. They didn't sign him, but he visited the Rams. Yeah, I mean, that's what's what's so interesting. Stephon Gilmore, you know, has a market right now. Akeem Hicks is still out there. J.C. Treader, one of the better centers in the NFL. So not necessarily all players that the Packers would be interested in, but I just, I guess I don't really remember an offseason feeling like there was still such like a depth 
of high-end talent available a full week and a half after free agency opened. You know, it feels like the bigger moves are kind of coming in spurts instead of all the action happening during the tampering window before things even start. I think this offseason has shown us where teams stand on certain positions. So we've seen like a lot of, obviously quarterback will always be premium, a lot of wide receiver movement, but we haven't seen a lot. There's still a dozen of top cornerbacks available. Like we saw JC Jackson signed, you said Stefan Gilmore, but there's a number still that don't have, um, that don't have contracts as of March 23rd, right? Joe Hayden, Patrick Peterson, Jason Verrett, Kyle Fuller, Xavier Rhodes. And granted, some of those are older guys and it is a little bit more difficult to take a flyer, sign a contract for an older corner. Um, It's just like a young athletic position, but those are pretty like decent household names that still don't have homes that anybody could go out and probably sign for pretty cheap at this point. Yeah, and I think, you know, the the price tag is such an interesting element, too, because we're looking at this year specifically more than maybe what we've seen in the past contracts that are including voidable years and a lot of upfront guaranteed money and just the structuring that we've never seen or that we've only started to see the last couple seasons and and even the value that teams are prioritizing. You know, the, the DeAndre Hopkins trade last year, two years ago at this point, however long ago it was, the Hopkins trade that, like, lit the NFL on fire – and then the Devontae Adams trade for a couple picks to get teams beyond or under the cap. And a couple days later, there goes Tyreek Hill to the Dolphins because the Chiefs need to recoup some picks because they're in a tough cap situation with what they're paying guys like Mahomes. So it does get really interesting where teams have to prioritize their money and which pieces become expendable. I guess it's kind of like an interesting lesson on if you are a draft and develop team, what are you comfortable developing and what are you comfortable paying the premium prices for? Because you don't know that you can find that talent. Wow. That's such an interesting point. And there are some teams that are really good at drafting and developing certain positions and not others. Like when I think of the Steelers, I think about how good they are at finding wide receivers in the draft. Why would they ever go out and sign a free agent? They know that they're going to be able to pick someone up, right? But there are other teams that just don't do that as well. Now I'm trying to think about what the Packers do well. I guess Goots picked some pretty pretty good corners over corners, his time. Offensive linemen is typically offensive there. Linemen, yeah. You know, finding those gems at quarterback. We'll have to see what Jordan <laughs> Love's got, but they got a good track record there too, trading for them and letting them fall in the draft. Yeah. It is interesting, though, because, you know, you and I said, like, I got to stop saying the word interesting, but it it's tricky when you think about what we thought we knew about Devontae and that the Packers would never let him go as a, as a future Hall of Famer kind of candidate, somebody that they developed, and then he ends up being traded. So, you know, it doesn't always work out where the teams are able to retain those homegrown talents. Sometimes they almost, like, outgrow their market, but... Yeah, the Packers have a pretty good track record of offering those third contracts to the players that they have drafted and been able to develop long-term. Yeah. The more I've sat on the Devontae situation, the more I feel like it was ended up being like a very fair trade. I agree. I think it was clear. I think what gets me as a fan is that I don't love hearing that a player is unhappy with mm-hmm. the team that you root for. 
So if you remove that from the equation, he gets to go play with Derek Carr. He gets to go home. He's getting a massive amount of money. He seems to be incredibly happy to be in the place where he wanted to go, right? The Packers traded him to the team he wanted to go play for, which is, I think, a very respectful decision. And they got a decent amount of picks back. Um, would have loved the Tyreek Hill haul. Um, <laughs> <laughs> could have could have cooped a, a fourth and a sixth. But yeah, it ended up being really fair. And like we said earlier, the Packers ended up being able to re-sign a couple of the guys that they would have loved to keep and probably wouldn't have been able to if Devontae had stayed. And now they have about $11.5 million to go sign another one if they want to. Yeah, I, I was talking to a friend of the show, Rachel Hopmeyer, about this. And I think, you know, the biggest takeaway from me is just as a, as a fan of the Packers and a fan of football, it's sad to not see somebody as talented as Devontae Adams in your team's colors anymore. Like, I will love watching him play football until he hangs up the cleats and he will always have some of the most impeccable footwork in the league. And I think that's what's sad is the same way that we cherish getting to watch Aaron Rodgers just make magic out of nothing. Whenever your team loses a player like that, it just stings. Like, yes, we can go watch him and he looks so badass in the Raiders colors, but it's just, it's just not the same as seeing your guys in green and gold. Go do that. It's true. It's true. Any other trades or free agent signings across the league that have like caught your eye? Not, not too much. I guess I'm just, I've been spending the majority of my time at this point trying to figure out what I think the Packers are going to do on draft night. They've got a lot of capital and we know that Goody loves to move around. We know, you know, the jokes have already circulated about whether they will or will not take a wide receiver, but I'm just curious if the, if they stay true and try to really make four picks in the top 60 or if Goody goes on a tear and, you know, trades up into like the teens or trades away future picks or moves back and, you know, kind of who, what pieces they're targeting. My most likely thought is that it will be a trade back to get more draft capital unless there's someone on the Packers board that they're like, we will do anything and we will use any ammunition we can to go up and get him. Um, that doesn't feel like something they typically do, but you never know. I'm definitely in the camp where I'm prepared for the Packers to not take a wide receiver in the first round Yeah, because second round is their sweet spot. There's plenty of great ready talent in the second round. Like, I've watched so much of George Pickens and John Mechie, and they are perfect Packers. I mean, I think that if they could somehow grab both of them with 53 and 59, like I'd be ecstatic. They'd be set. And then you get two top tier defensive talent in the first round and that that's your Packers team. So I'm, I'm very in the mindset of it's a strong possibility that they leave day one without a wide receiver. And that doesn't mean they're not going to take one. I think the fan base is going to go berserk if that happens, mainly because it seems like the consensus love is Chris Olave, but I'm not concerned. I think the Packers take at least two in this draft. They know that they have to replenish that with talent. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the, the part that is, makes the draft something that we all like to watch each year is just the fact that we never know what's going to happen. And, you know, 
everything that came out after the Jordan Love pick where, yes, the Packers had interest in him and he was probably the last first-round grade they had, but the rumors that they were trading up to get Brandon Ayuk, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rieger, and all these different players were taken before them. I think Packers fans have to kind of mentally prepare for that. So, you know, as much as Goot has a plan A, plan B, plan C, maybe maybe the board doesn't fall the way they want it to again this year and maybe there's not wide receivers available for them or maybe there is a wide receiver that Packers fans want them to take that the front office doesn't think is a good fit for 1265 so I think that's just something to keep in mind too and we talked about it a couple weeks ago with the Isaiah McDuffie example maybe the draft board isn't going to look the way they want it to and the Packers will have to to make a trade or go sign a street free agent after the draft because we just never know how those things are going to shake out. Right. And they signed two street free agents after the draft last season and they both just got massive paydays because they ended up panning out. So there are very few teams. I always remind myself of this as well. There are very few teams. Packers and the Patriots are the two that come to mind for me that are as good at finding undrafted talent as, as they are. I mean, there there's, I could list off too. So there's a lot more rounds of roster development to go before you look at this Packers team and say, this is who they're trotting out there week one, right? Like they will be contenders because this front office will go out and get the players to surround Aaron Rodgers with and make them contenders again. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good way to end it. So thank you as always for listening to the show. You can follow Perry on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein. You can find me on Twitter at Maggie J Loney. You can follow the podcast at PWSS podcast. You can also follow the podcast on Twitch and YouTube and Instagram at Pax. What she said, we talk about getting back on Twitch. I'm sure we'll have some fun draft things coming up. Um, as things ramp up, we'll do mock draft Monday pretty soon again. Now that the Packers Ooh. have a ton of extra picks to play with. Yeah. But as always go pack up, go pack up. Rogers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Pressure, pass is picked off.